Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. On the second Sunday of Advent, we're always confronted every year, no matter the cycle of readings that we're in, with the fascinating figure of St. John the Baptist. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about John the Baptist, his mission, and how it ties in into ours. John the Baptist, as we know, was a blood relative of our Lord. He was a cousin of Jesus. At a certain point in Jesus' public ministry, he says that, regarding John the Baptist, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So in certain pious traditions in church history, he's even considered to have possibly been without personal sin, actually. Uh, we know he wouldn't have been without original sin, of course, but uh, that's only our Blessed Mother, whose Immaculate Conception we celebrate this Thursday, by the way. But Jesus says, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And of course, he's obviously excluding himself in this category as well. We know that John the Baptist died a martyr in defense of the indissolubility of marriage, the unbreakable bond of marriage. He pointed out to Herod that he couldn't marry his brother's wife. Herod said, I don't care, off with your head, you're a nuisance to my conscience. And so he's a martyr for the indissolubility of marriage. We also know that John the Baptist was uh, an incredible ascetic. He lived a very severe life. We read about that in the gospel today, that he lived out in the desert, and for food, he ate locusts and wild honey, which would not have been the honey from bees' honeycombs. It would have been basically some kind of sap from a desert shrub, so not very tasty. Right? And, he, and he dressed himself in a garb made of camel hair, which is very rough and uncomfortable. So he was a very severe, ascetic man. He lived a life of great self-denial. And John the Baptist was given the greatest mission possible, which was to point out the Messiah, to be the precursor to Jesus. All the prophets that came before him in the Old Testament pointed out the Messiah from a long ways off, hundreds of years in the distance. John the Baptist alone, the last of the prophets, had the privilege of pointing to Jesus walking by and saying, there, that man is the Messiah, right there. Behold the Lamb of God. And so he holds this extraordinarily important and unique mission. How did John the Baptist prepare for his mission? Well. In Luke's first chapter of his gospel, which is very long, and he's sort of going back and forth paralleling the conception of Jesus with the conception of John the Baptist, and then the birth of Jesus with the birth of John the Baptist. At the end of the section regarding John the Baptist, after what we, what we call the canticle of Zechariah, his father, there's a little line that Luke inserts that ends this first chapter of his gospel regarding John the Baptist, and he says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So 
What the church's tradition has always understood this to mean is that sometime in John the Baptist's late teen years, maybe in his early 20s, he went off into the wilderness, into the desert, and spent years preparing for his mission that he would one day take up of proclaiming the Messiah. So he lived these years in prayer and great penance. And then when the time came, which is where our gospel picks up today, he began his preaching. And what, is his, what did his preaching consist of? It was very simple. He called people to repentance. That's it. It wasn't complicated. He said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the amazing thing is that this man dressed in a weird garment who ate bugs and sap in the middle of the desert, people listened to him. Thousands of people, it seemed, it seems, came out to John the Baptist in the middle of the desert to hear him preach a message that was extremely basic, right? We read in the Gospel today that Jerusalem came out to see him, all of Judea, all of the region around the Jordan. The picture here that Matthew is painting is that thousands of people were coming out to this man. And when he said repent, people actually did it. They, they heard him say repent, and they did. We read that they confessed their sins. It's, it's, not it's not obvious in the Gospel whether they did this sort of publicly or just kind of privately to John the Baptist. We're not really sure. But, but they changed their lives based on, based on what he was saying. He said repent, and they did. People listened. Why? Why did he have such a dramatic effect on so many people? Was it because he was a particularly gifted preacher and was extraordinarily eloquent and had a way with words? Doesn't seem like it. His, his message was just the same. Soldiers came, farmers came, educated people came. He told them all the same thing. Repent, right? Was, did they listen to him because he was an erudite scholar who just had extraordinarily piercing analyses of, of all sorts of aspects of, of the faith and, and, and why they should change their life? No, there's no evidence of that. Did people listen to him because he had some sort of office or position of authority? Nope. None of those things. Why did he have such an effect? I'll give you the reason. Because he lived a radical way of life. That's why. People saw this man in the desert who was poor, homeless, wore camel's hair, ate bugs and sap, and they said, this guy's the real deal. He's not trying to sell me anything. And I, I know that because of the way that he is living. And so John the Baptist became a credible witness to thousands of people, not because he was eloquent, not because he had all the right answers and was educated, not because he had a position of authority, but because he was radical in the way that he was living his life. In particular, the radical nature of how he dealt with material things, that he chose radical simplicity and radical poverty. This is why people listen to him and why when he preached a basic message of repentance, they listened. 
The fathers of the church all, all point this out. John Chrysostom says, it was wonderful to see such fortitude in a human body. He's talking about the penitential life of John the Baptist. It was wonderful to see such fortitude in a human body. And it was this that chiefly attracted the Jews. They came out to see this amazing man who lived on, on locusts and honey and, and, and wore camel's hair. Another father of the church said of John the Baptist, his severe life preached yet more loudly in the desert than the voice of his crying. It was his manner of life that won people over. First, when people came, they saw him with their eyes. And when they saw his radical way of life, it opened their ears to what he was saying. And when they opened their ears to what he was saying, and the words came in, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, they chose in their heart to do it. But it began by seeing with their eyes the radical way of life that he lived. I'm going to rewind a few minutes back to when I said John the Baptist was given the most important mission in the history of salvation. And I'll tell you that I lied to you deliberately for a dramatic effect. <laughs> so he does not have the most important mission in the in salvation history. If you recall that line I mentioned earlier from our Lord, he said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who is that? That's us. Those who are baptized. The least of us is greater than John the Baptist. You might think to yourself, that doesn't seem to make any sense. This guy's pretty amazing. How in the world can, me, can, can I, sinful as I am, be, be greater than John the Baptist? And I would tell you in two ways. First, by your status. When you were baptized, you were adopted into God's royal family as his son or daughter in a real way. John the Baptist never experienced that. He lived before the events of salvation took place. He died before the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. He never experienced sacramental baptism. The baptism that he was doing was just a symbolic baptism. We have been adopted into God's family. Our status, the least of us, our status outpaces that of John the Baptist to an infinite degree. To an infinite degree. We're also greater than John the Baptist in our mission. John the Baptist's mission was a great one to point out in the flesh the Messiah. But this was before the events of salvation occurred. What is our mission? We have the mission of proclaiming the full gospel that Jesus Christ has died and risen to forgive the sins of the world and that this is available to anyone who repents, has faith, is baptized, and perseveres in that until death. We get to proclaim that. That mission is so much bigger than the mission of John the Baptist. So much bigger. So what is going to be necessary for us to prepare for this mission? 
It's going to look a lot like John the Baptist's preparation, to give you an idea. We're going to have to be full of a life of hidden prayer, as he was in the years before his preaching began. We're going to have to be full of a life of hidden penance, as he was before his preaching began. You can talk to someone all day about the Lord. If it's not backed up by hidden prayer and hidden penance, it's not going to be effective. It's just the, the, the firepower behind it is just going to be lacking. But then there's this third element, and I think this is the one that trips us up the most. What will be necessary for us to fulfill this great mission? We are going to have to live a visible witness of radical simplicity in our use of material things. A visible witness of radical simplicity in our use of material things. This is not a popular message in modern day America. It's not. And when I think to myself, you know, I've had this thought come up many times over the past years. What, what could I ever preach about at Good Counsel that would be sort of controversial, that would kind of push people's buttons and maybe, maybe start some harder conversations and it's not going to be any of the church's teachings on sexual morality or the nature of marriage or pro-life stuff. Everybody here is already on board with those things. But, but money, material things, wealth, that might be something. Because I think for many of us, we, we think that the bar is here when it comes to how we deal with material things as believers, when the bar is actually here. Read the Gospels carefully and note how much Jesus talks about money and wealth and how dangerous he paints of a picture that that can be for our soul. Now, do, do we need other things in our life to be credible witnesses to the Gospel? Because that's the main point here that I want to drive home. John the Baptist was a credible witness because he lived this radical simplicity in terms of his dealings with material things. He was, he was simple and poor. And that gave him great credibility. Right? We need other things beyond that to be credible. We need to be cheerful all the time. We need to have like a basic knowledge of the faith. Right? We need to have integrity in different aspects of our daily life. We have to be honest and sincere and so on. But we also need this missing thing that I think is so lacking in the Catholic Church today in the United States. I look at myself first of all, to be completely frank, and that is a, a more radical approach to material things and, and wealth. Most of us, without realizing it, we have as a goal to live the good life as it's painted by general consumerist American society. For most of us, we pursue that in many different ways. But what the Lord holds out for us is something much greater. And it's so important if people are going to believe us when we tell them that Jesus is the answer to everything that they want. This is the thing that I want to drive home. If I, as a priest, have a, somewhat of a life of prayer, somewhat of a life of hidden penance, but then I drive around in a $50,000 car, I take my vacation every year in the Caribbean, and I eat out twice a week at a nice restaurant in the plaza, and then I get up here and talk to people about how we should strive for heaven, what are people going to be thinking in their head? I mean, thinking, yeah, okay, Father. But it's clear where your priorities are. They're here on earth. 
Right? You, you seem very comfortable here in this world. Your manner of life does, does not indicate to me that, that heaven is your number one priority. So I could have all these other things. I could be the most eloquent preacher you could imagine. I could be scholarly. I could make good points. I could be cheerful when I deal with people. I could be all those things. But if I'm living a worldly life, who's, who's going to listen to me? Nobody. There's going to be a, a conflict in their hearts. Be like, something doesn't make sense here. You, you say these are your priorities, Father, but you don't live like it. You live just like any other American. There's nothing different. If I were to go to a monastery and I see these monks, I'm like, okay, they have some sort of life of prayer, some sort of life of penance. But then I find out, unfortunately, I think something close to this is actually the case in some monasteries, <laughs> not to scandalize anyone. But they have, you know, cocktails a few times a week after vespers, dessert at every single meal, which would be an atrocious idea to St. Benedict if you were to ever <laughs> visit a monastery. And, and that was the case. And, and maybe I'm on retreat there and I see a different group of monks every day go out for a nice round of golf, right? And then I go to Mass on my last day of the retreat and the monk who's up there preaching, he's talking about how we need to give ourselves more fully to the Lord. Is that really going to hit home for me? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. And now here's where we get to the hang-up. Because I know what many of you are thinking in your head. You're thinking, yeah, that's, that's the life of the priest, and that's religious life. But we're lay people, Father. We have to be in the world. That's, that's not, we didn't take a vow of poverty. We're not like Daoists and priests that are supposed to live simplicity. Uh, we're, we're lay people. It's true. You are. And your simplicity of life is going to look different. It's not going to be as flashy. It's not going to be as in-your-face as John the Baptist, that's for sure. I guarantee you, if you have kids, the Lord doesn't want you to go in the desert and wear camel's hair and eat sap and bugs, right? So don't worry. That's not, <laughs> that's not what the Lord wants of you. But we have to be careful that we don't go to the opposite extreme of saying, well, I'm off the hook. I can just deal with material things and, and money as I will. If you want people to believe you when you say that Jesus is the answer to everything, your way of life has to be radical. It has to be radical. Because here's the rub. In our modern day, do people listen to somebody when they talk because they're in a position of authority? Not really. Since the 1960s, people have in fact been quite rebellious as an instinct towards those in authority. That's not going to win them over. Do people listen to somebody who makes perfect logical arguments? Not really. Most people today are relativists. You can make the best argument in the world, and they're still not going to listen to you. Do people listen to someone today that has great charisma, very winsome? Again, I think that actually makes many people quite skeptical. 
They think to themselves, what are you trying to sell me? Right? But will people listen to somebody who lives radical simplicity and even poverty in the United States of America in how they deal with material things? You better believe it. You better believe it. They will think to themselves, this person is in it to win it. This person isn't trying to sell me something. This person truly has their treasure in heaven and not here on earth. This is a tough thing. This is a tough thing, friends. I think it's a message that I see very few priests living as the Lord would have us live. I accuse myself first of all. Very few lay people living as the Lord would have us live. The Lord holds out a high bar for us when it comes to these things. But I really want to encourage you to not be afraid. This can be a very daunting thing to begin to discern. This more simple way of life, even radically so, can be a scary thing to approach. But do not be afraid of entering into that discernment with the Lord. To say, Lord, what do you want me to give up? I will do anything. And this will make us credible witnesses in a way that you wouldn't believe. You know, often I run into people who their kids or grandkids have left the faith. And if I were to ask them, are you praying for your kids or grandkids to come back to the faith? They would say, absolutely, Father. I'd say, would you be willing to pray more? They would say, absolutely. I'd say, are you doing penance for your kids and grandkids that have left the faith? And I'd say, ah, not really. Uh, and if I were to ask them, would you be willing to take that on, hidden penance, for, for their souls? Most of them, I think, would say, yeah, okay, I'm down with that. But if I were to then ask them, and would you be willing to live a much more radically simple way of life when it comes to your dealing with material things, so that your kids and grandkids would see you as more credible? And they would say, well, maybe, Father, but what does that, what does that mean practically? I'd say, well... Would you be willing to eat out less? Would you be willing to take less expensive vacations? Would you be willing to have a car that is reliable but as basic as possible? Would you be willing to downgrade to a simpler wardrobe? Would you be willing to do away with expensive hobbies and toys? And then I would probably ask them that and say, ah, it's too much. Too much, Father. I'd say, well, what, well, how much is the soul of, of your child and grandchild worth? Because I know my generation and the generations that are coming up, and they only listen to someone if they see them walk the talk. That's it. They won't listen to us otherwise. And so I just really encourage you, don't be afraid to discern a more radical way of life in your dealing with material things. Do not be afraid. We have to live differently than the rest of the culture. Again, it, as a layperson, it's not going to be flashy. It's not going to be like John the Baptist. But it still is going to be substantive and real. You're going to feel it a little bit. 
Don't be afraid. St. John the Baptist, pray for us.